All right, how we doing? Uh, a few more cheers there than I expected, given that we've been fasting for a week. So uh, glad you're doing well. Glad you're here. If you're new today, we, we kicked off a season of prayer, fasting, and worship last Sunday, and we are seven days into fasting and praying. And fasting and praying is all about removing things in our life so we can replace it with the Word of God, and that's what we're doing. And we're doing that as a part of this series that we're in called Burn the Ships, which means there are things in our life that we need to give up, childish ways that we need to give up so we can grow up and move forward. And we're taking 21 days, three weeks, in order to seek God to know what that is. And at the end of this series, we'll have an opportunity to do that. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks, that I don't know about you, but I know about me. There are a lot of childish ways in me that I need to give up. Childish ways of talking, childish ways of thinking, childish ways of believing. And so this season of 21 days of abide that we're calling that is is to really ask God, God, what are those things that you need me to give up? What are those things that you want to do in my life? And I'm going to take this time by giving up food. And I don't know what you've done, if you've given up all food, if you've given up some type of food, if you've just a, a time or a certain meal a day or social media or whatever it is, but I highly encourage you and recommend that you do that. And if you didn't start that last week. It's all right. You can jump in. We got two more weeks. All right. And so we want to invite you into this process because it's in this process that we're saying to the Lord, as we begin a new year, as we've already begun a new year, we're saying, God, I want to put you first. I'm going to put you first in my life this year. And I want to dedicate this time to you. It's really kind of us tithing back to God and saying, I'm, I'm putting you first by going without food or going without something, removing it for the sake of this relationship in my life. And so I wanna encourage you to do that. And as you've seen, there's information on our website, abide.revolution.church that can help you with that process. And so we're just gonna continue that conversation today in John chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 15. We, we left off uh, at this place last week. We're gonna go back and kind of dig around this week and next week in this chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We've got the verses here on the screen. If you don't even own one, we'd love to give you one for free after the service is over, all right? You can just see one of our team members and we'll get you one. But as always, before we jump into the text, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together, all right? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word as every week as we come to be instructed by it, myself included. Um, God, I pray that this preaching of the word would have the effect on our lives that you intend for it to have, that it would not return void. And thank you for the promise that you said it would never do that because it is powerful. And so we ask now, God, that it would cut between the things in our life. It would cut away the things that need to be cut away as we open it. We ask your Holy Spirit to empower me to do it and for us to be empowered to hear it because we know without you, we won't understand. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start in verse 1. We'll work our way down to verse 6. In John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He said this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now let's stop and talk here about these three verses for a little bit. 
Last week, we, start, we looked at the verse three and, and we looked at verse three, four, and five, but verse three really connects better with verses one and two because there's some wordplay going on in here in verses one, two, and three that you don't quite see in English, but you do in the Greek. And so I wanna point those out to you and what Jesus is talking about here. And the first thing that Jesus says is, I am the true vine. Now, these are one of the I am statements that Jesus made. In fact, this is the last one. This is the last I am statement that Jesus made throughout the gospels. And there was a lot of them that he said, like I am the bread of life, I am the living water. And this one he says, I am the true vine. And the reason why that's important for us to understand is because when Jesus makes an I am statement, we should immediately, if you have any kind of Bible knowledge, especially if you were Jewish growing up in your faith, we go all the way back to Moses, when God was sending Moses to go back into Egypt to free his people, and Moses so famously asked, God, who should I tell them that sent me? And God says to him, tell them, I am sent you. He's like, well, I know you are, but who is that? He goes, well, I am, right? Who's on third? And so God's like, I am. And now Jesus, or who's on first? Who's on first? Who's on second? You know the story. All right, if you don't, go watch this very funny bit. But Jesus coming back, and now he's saying, I am. Now, you need to understand when Jesus made those statements, the Jewish people that he was making them to knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. And people that say that Jesus never claimed to be God, they don't understand what Jesus was saying because he did very clearly claim to be God. When he said, I am. And the reason why this is so important is he's saying, I am, which means I've always been. I am the same God that was talking to Moses. That God is me. I am. And this is so important to understand because when Jesus makes these I am statements, he gives descriptions of what he's talking about. And we'll get into that one in just a second. But before we get into the description, what you need to understand is those are all just describing who he is. But you need to understand the fact is he is and he always has been. This is why the Bible calls him the first and the last or the alpha and the omega. The alpha and the omega are simply the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And so he's saying he is the beginning. He is the end because he's had no beginning and he's had no end. I've had this conversation many times with my nine-year-old daughter because in her mind, she just can't fathom the fact that God has always been there. And if you stop and like noodle on it for a little while, it'll just like fire the circuits because the idea that God has no beginning is so foreign to us because everything in life that we know of has a beginning. But Jesus is claiming, no, I didn't have a beginning, I am. Which in the gospel of John, John chapter one, John writes this about him and he says he was in the beginning. He was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Then in verse three, he says of John chapter one, everything that was made was made through him. It was made through him so that everything that was in the made category, he made. And so John's saying, listen, there's two categories here. There's creator category and then there's created category or creation. So there's creator and then there's creation. And Jesus is in the creator category. He's not in the creation category. He's always been, which is as different than what Mormons teach and what Jehovah's Witness teach. They teach that no, somewhere way back, Jesus was created. And we very clearly say, no, he was never created. He's God. 
He's always been God. He always will be God. God didn't have spiritual babies way back when in eternity past. And there was a time where Jesus wasn't. And there was a time Jesus was. No, the Bible says very clearly he was and he always was. And Jesus understood that about himself when he says, I am. Then he says, I am the true vine. Now, this phrase here, the true vine, is interesting because when he says true, if something is true, then what's the opposite of true? False, right? Remember those on tests? I I couldn't decide if I liked true false on tests because on one sense, it was like I had a 50% chance of being wronged, right? But then I had a 50% chance of being right. It's like, is this true? Is this false? I'm more of a fan of the Scantron ABCD. Even though I had a 75% chance of being wrong, I felt like I had more options, right? And and I'll never forget taking tests and my mom told me, hey, all these scientific studies said, pick one letter, go all the way through with it. If you don't know, don't just pick C. So C was my letter, all right? And so if I didn't know the answer, I just picked C because statistically somehow, some way you had a better chance than you just randomly picked them. So that was my letter. And so when it comes to true, false, the idea is there's only two options. There's true and then there's not true. And if it's not true, then it's false. So Jesus is obviously setting himself against something. When he says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I am something. And that's a reference to the fact that something else is not something. Does that make sense? So he's saying, I am true. So that means something else is false. And what he's getting at is a reference to so many things in the Old Testament that referred to Israel as the vine. There's all these pictures in the Old Testament where God would speak about the people of Israel as his vineyard, as a vine. And in Isaiah chapter four is one of those, uh, chapter five, sorry, is one of those references. You can write it down and go read it later. God's having this conversation about his people saying they're the vineyard and he did all this process and they were supposed to grow up and produce great grapes, but they produced wild grapes. And so Jesus is saying everything that the uh, Israelites failed to do, everything that the Jewish people failed to do, I am the true one. So I am everything that they're not. Everything that they were supposed to be, I am. So here's how you need to understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament is simply shadows pointing forward to the New Testament. We did a series years ago, maybe we'll do another one in the future called Shadows, where we just looked at those people, some prominent people in the Old Testament, and it shows us how those people are merely a shadow of the fact of Jesus as the ideal Israelite, the true Jewish person. Another way to say it is like this, Jesus succeeded where all of them failed. So Adam failed his test in a garden, guess what? Jesus passed his test in a garden. So you see all these connections and it's just amazing. And I can't wait till we meet Jesus and he shows us even more because there's so many more things that he did that aren't even written down here that we don't even know about that he'll show us. But when Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine, what he's getting at is I am the true one, which means I am truth, which is why in John 14, six, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so he's juxtaposing himself to every other person who's ever come along and ever said anything. And this is what makes Jesus different than any other religious teacher. Any other of the major world religions, 
the major world religions, their founders all claim to be some form of a messenger from God, but none of them claim to be God themselves. You wanna know why? Because if you claim to be God and then you're killed, you're not God. If you stay dead. If you stay dead, you're not God. But Jesus didn't stay dead, right? That's our story. Because you can kill a man, but you can't kill God. And so Jesus came back to life again. He's like, hello, I'm alive, right? I don't think he did it like that. That's just my rendition. But the point is this. Jesus is saying, I'm God. He claimed to be God. Make no mistake about it. He didn't claim to just have a word from God. He claimed to be the word of God. And when he says, I am the true vine, that's what he's saying. Now, here's what's interesting about this last I am statement. And I think it's, I think it's important that it's the last one. He adds on another phrase to this one in a way that he doesn't any of the others. He adds on another phrase. He says, I am the true vine. Look back at it. And he says, and my father is the vine dresser. So I'm the true vine. I am. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, vine dresser is simply another word of saying farmer or gardener or you know, someone who works in the field, who teals, who does that whole process. When we think of farmers, we don't normally think of people who do wine, right? Like vines and branches. We think more of the field and corn and the, you know, plowing and that kind of stuff. But this word here, vine dresser, just means somebody who tends to the garden, a farmer, someone who's taking care of the vine and the branches. The reason why this is such an important addition that Jesus makes is he's showing us how the Trinity works. Here's how the Trinity works. Jesus is the source. He's the source. That's what the vine means. He's the source. The Father is the vine dresser. The Holy Spirit is the one who connects the vine and the branches. So it's flowing into the branches. The life that's flowing into the branches is actually the Spirit of God. And Jesus says this in John chapter 6. I'll make reference to it in just a second. And so that's how the Trinity works. And so Jesus is the source. It comes to us by the Spirit. Then the Father is looking at that process, and he is actually tilling or cutting off and cutting back the whole process. And so when he says, my father is the vine dresser, he introduces another person to this process that is so important that we need to understand. And there's two things that he says that his father does. Two things, go back and look at it. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there's two things that the father as the vine dresser does to the branches that are connected to the vine. One is he cuts off branches, cuts off branches that don't produce fruit, which means they're dead. And then he cuts back branches that do produce fruit, which means they're alive. So there's two kind of branches. Now, when you read this, it creates confusion because people read this and they think, oh, what Jesus is saying here is the first type of person that the father cuts off is a person who trusts Jesus, but then lost their salvation. So there are different denominations out there that will tell you, you can lose your salvation. 
But here's what you need to understand. And let me just do a quick seminary overview class, all right, of hermeneutics. When you're reading the Bible, you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Here's what that means. When you come to a passage that's obscure or you don't understand the meaning of it, you have to let other passages that you do understand the meaning of it interpret the one that you don't understand the meaning of it. Does that make sense? You with me? You have to let the clear ones speak into the unclear ones. So this is one of those that's unclear. People have questions about what does this mean? Is Jesus talking about somebody who's in him? Because he says any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off. Is Jesus talking about those people can lose their salvation? No. Let's move on. Very quick answer to the question right now. But let me, let me explain why. No, that's not what he's saying. Why do we know that's not what he's saying? Because of the principle I just told you of hermeneutics. Here's what you need to understand. In very clear passages in the gospel of John, prior to chapter 15, Jesus said things like this. Those that the father gives me, no one can snatch them out of my hands. No one. Let me say it to you like this. Jesus has got a death grip on you or a life grip, right? However you want to look at it. Death grip, you're going to die and rise again in life, whatever. Here's the deal. Ain't nobody prying his fingers open. I remember playing that game with my father. He would put like a quarter in his hand or a dollar in his hand. One time he got very serious and he put a hundred dollar bill in his hand. He's like, if you can pry open my fingers, you can have it. I spent hours ain't, ain't in budging because my dad's got gorilla hands, right? Like he's got a vice grip of death, ain't happening. That's what Jesus is saying. The good news about Jesus is this. If you're in his hands, you're in his hands. He's holding you, ain't nobody getting you out. If you're saved, you're saved. The theological term for this is eternal security. So I want you to understand the position of Revolution Church is simply this, the position of the Bible that Jesus says, once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you're in, you're in. You're not in and then out and then in and then out. You're in or out. So we know, okay, if that's true, then that cannot be what Jesus is saying here. So if that is not what he's saying, then what is he saying? Two things that I think that he's saying. One, in the sense of what I just kind of referenced, is that Jesus created everything. Jesus created everything. He was not created, he is creator. And so through him, everything that was created. So in one sense, every human being on the planet is a child of God in the sense that they were created by him. You are from him. You were made from him. You were made for him. So you are a child in the sense, or you're connected to him in a sense that he created you. You're physically alive because of him. But the Bible says you can be physically alive and spiritually dead. So you can be connected to him in that sense, but you're not alive. You don't know him. You're not saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit. Which is so interesting to me because at the, uh, during the break, the end of last year and the beginning of this year, my family, I think it was actually on New Year's Day, we woke up that morning and we worked in the yard because there's leaves everywhere and trimming back bushes and that kind of stuff. And I was amazed that there would be bushes around my house that there was you know, ones that had leaves on it and I would cut those back. But then there were some branches that had nothing on them and they were connected to the plant, but they were dead. They were connected to it, but they were dead. Those were the easy ones. You just cut those off and throw them away, right? So in one sense, what Jesus is saying is there are, we would say today, billions of people on the planet that 
are created by him, but they don't know him. They're created by him, so they were connected to him in, in creation, but they don't know it. They're dead. But I think there's also another sense that this can be true, and this one goes deeper, and this one's tougher. I don't think Jesus is just saying that there are people in him in a creation sense. I think he's saying there are people that are walking with him, but, but they're not in him. You don't know why I think that? Because you read it in the Gospels. In fact, in John chapter six, I don't have it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. You can just write it down as a reference. But in John chapter six, Jesus is having a conversation. He feeds 5,000 people. Everybody loves it when Jesus feeds them, right? How's that for a fasting week? Everybody loves it. Everybody loves Jesus when Jesus can turn a meal out of a few loaves and a few fish. You're like, oh, come on, I love me some Jesus, right? I can bring my little, you can make it much. Woohoo! love Jesus. I'm with Jesus. I'm following Jesus. This is a commentary on John chapter six, by the way. So then Jesus goes deeper because he knows he has to with them. And he starts talking about, you love me because I fed you. I gave you bread, but there's another bread I can give you. And that bread is my flesh. And if you eat of my flesh, you'll have life eternal. And then in John chapter six, verse 60, it says the Jews and his disciples grumbled at this hard teaching and he's from God. And then it, listen, in John chapter six, and, and this blew me away this morning, verse 66, don't miss this. I don't know, remember the verses and the chapters weren't there originally. It was put back in the ninth century, but this is just one of those crazy things. And John chapter six, verse 66. So you got 666. This is what it says. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of his disciples. Now, what is the disciple? A disciple is someone's following so there were people who were following Jesus, but Jesus wasn't in them. They were with Jesus as long as Jesus fed them. They were with Jesus as long as Jesus did what they wanted him to do. They were with Jesus as long as Jesus met their needs. But the moment Jesus starts talking some hard stuff like eating his flesh, we would now call that communion. Jesus wasn't saying actually eat my flesh. What he was saying is I'm gonna give my flesh for you and you're gonna eat on the belief of the fact that I'm your substitution. That's what he was saying, but they could even get past it. And here's what is so troubling to me. There might be some of you that you would call yourself a disciple you would call yourself a Christian, a believer who's walking with Jesus, but at some point in the future, you're gonna turn away. And what that shows is you were never saved. You didn't lose your salvation, you never had it. You never had it. And here's why you didn't have it. You came to Jesus for what he could give you and what you wanted, you didn't come for G to Jesus for Jesus. And this is a hard teaching. This is hard. 
So let me ask you a very simple question. And I I reference this at our Christmas Eve services. Do you see Jesus as the divine mailman or male person, however we say it today, that's bringing you a package and you get the package and you're like, thanks, I'll see you later. And you want what he gives you, but you don't want the person. If you see Jesus like that, and as long as Jesus keeps bringing you health, as long as Jesus keeps bringing you wealth, as long as Jesus keeps doing everything that you think he should be doing in your life, you will follow him. But the moment that he doesn't do it, do you bail on him? If you bail on him, you were never with him. And you know what happens in those moments? Jesus is saying the father cuts you off. Cuts you off. Why? Because you were dead. You were dead. You weren't spiritually alive. But then there's another thing that the father does. The other thing that the father does is there are some branches that are in him and they're producing fruit. Now think about this. Fruit is how you know that the branch is alive. Because what's growing at the end of the branch is happening as a result of what's going on in the root of the tree. And so the branch is simply the conduit. So if there's no fruit, there's no life. That's how you know. Again, when I was trimming the bushes, there were some with no leaves. They were just dead. So they were connected, but they were dead. There's no fruit. This is why Jesus said elsewhere, you'll know them by their fruit. What's the fruit? Fruit of the spirit. You'll know them by their love. And this is the part that I think is equally hard. And if you're a believer, I think it's even harder because here's what Jesus says the father does to them. He cuts them back. He prunes. Poor prunes. Nobody likes prunes. Prunes are horrible, right? So even the fruit is horrible and the word is horrible. The word prune here means, again, to cut back. And this is where, if you have not been following God for very long, you will start getting very disillusioned when God starts doing this. You want to know why? I was telling my wife last year, because I feel like her and I have gone through a pruning season over the last several years. And, and I, this realization came one day as I think we were driving in the car. It's normally in the shower, in the car, in the bathroom. Like that's where it all comes, right? Like, so I'm, we're having this conversation and I told Lindsay, I said, you know what, Lindsay? The thing that stinks about being pruned, being cut back or cut off is it feels the same. It feels the same. When you are cut, it feels the same. And this is what I told her. I said, Lindsay, I need to know that I'm not being cut off. I need to know that I'm just being cut back because it hurts just as bad. It hurts just as bad. If the trees or the vines and the branches could talk to us, the bushes, when we trim them back, they would say to us, what in the world are you doing? This hurts. This is painful. I don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing this? And it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Jesus says the ones that are growing fruit, he cuts them back, which means he's cutting off fruit. 
And so you look at that and you're like, whoa, what? this doesn't even make sense. Why would you cut back the ones that are growing fruit? I get that you're going, I mean, everybody's like, I get you're going to cut off the dead ones. But why in the world are you going to cut back the ones that are growing fruit? Why don't you just let them grow? You want to know why? Because not all growth is good growth. Not all growth is good growth. And you want to know why the father is dead set on pruning you? Because you wouldn't do it to yourself. You wouldn't prune yourself. You want to know why you wouldn't prune yourself? You don't want to know why you don't prune yourself? It's because it's too painful. Very quickly, look over at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. I do have this on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, the writer of Hebrews says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Aren't you glad that the Bible is honest? Let's read that again. For the moment, all discipline seems what? Painful. Come on, everybody. Both campuses. For the moment, all discipline seems what? Painful rather than pleasant. Duh. I love that the Bible is, yeah. Thank you. I love your, Jasper, you don't know what happened. A child just said duh back to me. It was awesome. All right. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Of course. But don't you thank God for conjunctions? The best two words in the Bible are, but God. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, don't miss this. The peaceful fruit. Fruit's so peaceful, isn't it? Have you ever been, I don't know if you've ever been up to North Georgia at the uh, orchards we have. We love going to Mercier. It's one of our favorite ones, apple picking, the whole deal. You, You eat the fruit, whether you buy it in their store or whether you buy it in Publix, groceries, whatever, you know, Kroger, when you're eating fruit, it's so, it's so peaceful, isn't it? Like you're eating the fruit and you're like, man, this grape is so amazing and it feels so good in my mouth. This is a horrible analogy for those of us that are fasting, right? And you're eating this apple and it's so juicy and it's so good. If you've never had one off the tree, it's a thousand times better because the ones in the store are a year old. Like I've got refrigeration down, it's crazy. And so when you get them off the tree, it's amazing. It's so peaceful and you're eating this fruit and you're like, man, this is awesome. But what if the apple tree could talk? What would the apple tree say? I'm glad you're enjoying that fruit so peacefully. But do you know the process I went through to give you that peaceful fruit? It's like when a child is born, right? After the baby's born, they stop crying. They, you know, swaddle them up and they're all so peaceful. And then there's World War III over there with mama. Right? Like there's trauma with mama and the baby's peaceful. Right? And everybody's looking at the baby like the baby's awesome. And then mama's like, what about me? My body just exploded to give you that peacefulness. Right? And, and they say, and mothers, I don't know if this is true, that later on you forget the pain. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe you were just on drugs and that's why you forgot. Right? But I'm I'm pointing this out to you because this is the process. You want to know why you need to know this is the process? Because when it's so painful, you'll give up. You'll give up. But you don't get the peaceful fruit without the painful process. Hear me. You don't get the peaceful fruit without the painful process. 
And the reason why the father prunes you is because you would never choose the painful process. So he chooses it for you. So those of us who know Jesus, who are following Jesus, Jesus is in us. It's evidenced by the fruit that he's grown in our lives. And when he starts cutting, and hear me, he's gonna cut off things that are fruitful. He's gonna cut off some relationships in your life that have borne fruit. He's gonna cut off, maybe he's cutting back your business. He's cut, I mean, he even does this organizationally as a church, a people. He does this personally, he cuts back things in your life and, and you're so confused. You're like, why in the world are you doing this? I don't understand, you're cutting me back. But Jesus says, so that they'll bear more fruit. And what is the fruit that he's going to bear? Hebrews 12, 11 tells us righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Righteousness is just another way of saying rightness or holiness. We've got right standing with God. The problem with us is we don't do the hard work of becoming righteous because it's hard. What's interesting in Hebrews 12, 11, it says to those who have been trained by it. That word there trained is the Greek word gymnasio. It's where we get our English word gymnasium. And it literally means to sweat. You want to know why you don't work out? It's painful. It's that simple. I don't know if you've blown your resolutions yet or not, right? Normally they say three weeks in, done. And you don't even pick it back up till next December 31st. You want to know why? It's painful. It's just too painful. And, And we're not... I mean, there's a few of you weirdos that like going to the gym and experiencing that pain. There's a few of you and you own gyms and stuff. The rest of us don't. It's painful. So I would never choose the process. But here's what Jesus is saying. You have a heavenly father that loves you enough to choose it for you. Because he wants to prune out things in you that you would never choose because they're so painful because he can see the process through the pain to get to the peaceful fruit. So here's what I would say to you. When God starts pruning your life, and he will, don't be concerned. I would be concerned if he's not pruning your life. If he's not cutting back in your life, I would be concerned. You want to know why? Because he may not be cutting you back. He may have cut you off. Hebrews 12 says, it's for discipline you have to endure. He's treating you as sons. So if he's not pruning you, if he's not disciplining you, you're not his child. You're not in him. But if he is, take heart because he's putting you through a painful process that will produce peaceful fruit. Now let's go back quickly to John chapter 15, verse four, four to six. Jesus says, abide in me. This is the command. Abide in me, remain in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So again, he's saying, listen, I'm gonna do this. Remain in me. I'm gonna give you the strength. I'm gonna give you the life in order to endure that painful pruning process. I'm gonna give you what you need. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. I am thoroughly convinced now in my own life, one of the reasons why God prunes me back so painfully the way he does to remind me, Jason, you can't do this without me. Because I don't know about you, my default is just to get busy doing stuff for God and not doing it with him. So God will be like, all right, go try to do that. And then it all falls apart. I'm like, God, I need you. He's like, I've been waiting on you. Just listen to this reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. This is Paul talking. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You ever felt like that? He says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You ever felt like that walking with God? But listen to this. Uh, but. Man, I love conjunctions. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So even Paul says, I thought I was given a death sentence. But God did that to remind me not to rely on myself, but on him. Verse 10, he says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So if you're in the middle of the painful process right now, you need that hope of knowing. And how do you get that? You abide in him. And as you abide in him, as you go without your necessary food, you feed on the bread of life. As you do that, the father starts pruning away. And as the father starts pruning away, we start freaking out. And all I'm telling you is this, all this is normal but all this is good. You wanna know why it's good? Look at verse six and then we're done. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And what? Let's, let's try that again. And what? Burned. What's the title of this series? Burn the ships. What is Jesus saying? You better allow the Father to burn the ships now. Because if he doesn't burn them now, you'll burn later. You'll burn. Now make no mistake about this, friends. He's talking about hell. He's talking about hell here. He's talking about all those people that the father will cut off because they never knew Jesus. They never trusted Jesus. They never saw him as the source of their life. He will cut them off. He will gather them up. And at the end of the age, he will punish them. And they'll be burnt. But those of us now who... Trust Jesus now. There's some of you here today that have not trusted Jesus and today you can. And when you trust Jesus, you're burning all those ships of the past. But there's some of you here that have already trusted Jesus, but you haven't burned those ships yet. And God's been pruning you away and he's been doing that to purify you. 
That's what's so interesting in John 15, one through three, verse three, it said, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. That word there, clean, is the exact same word as prune. You know why God prunes you? To clean you. And so when he's pruning you, it's evidence that he's already cleaned you in Christ and he's just further cleaning you. So here's what I'm saying to you. You have two fire options. You pick your fire. Eternal fire of punishment or right now temporary fire of purifying. You pick your fire. But make no mistake about it, burning is a part of the process. As one theologian says, he takes us out of one fire just to put us in another. Why? Because you know? How do you purify metal? You heat it up. And when you heat up metal, you know what happens? All the impurities come to the top and then they scrape them off. And that's called dross. You wanna know why God's been turning up the heat in your life? Because there's some impurities that need to come to the surface and he needs to cut off. He needs to cut away. So allow God to burn it now as a way to purify you, not to burn it later as a way to punish you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this grace that Jesus told us that he is the vine, that he's the source, that if we trust him, we'll be saved. And God, I know there are people here today that have not crossed over that line from death to life. They've not trusted you. You've not made them alive because the word hasn't cleansed them. So I pray right now, God, you would do that. Nobody looking around or talking, but if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, then today you can make him your life. It bugs me when people say that they're making Jesus a part of their life. Listen, you don't make Jesus a part of your life. He either is your life or he's nothing. He's not just in your life, he is your life. You have no life without him. So he's either true or he's false. He's not a way, he's the way. And so if you've never crossed that line of faith to believe that, that can happen right now. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray, to confess. I'll lead you in it. And you can pray, you can repeat after me, not out loud. If you wanna trust Christ, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. I give you my life. Give me life. I receive Jesus. I trust him. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for loving me. Now, for those who just prayed with me, very simply, we want to know that and celebrate with you. So again, nobody looking around or talking. But if you just prayed, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Just lift it up. Thank you. We got men and women walking around. I'm going to put a gift in your hand. When you get it, you can put it down. But then those of us who would say, no, he is my life. I have trusted him. I am saved. 
But if you were honest with me today, you would say, you're saved, but you're struggling. You're struggling to understand why it's been so painful, why this process has been so painful. And I hope today you understand it's painful because he loves you and he's willing to inflict pain to heal you. Like a surgeon who has to cut you open to remove something. He's got greater goals. And so today, maybe your prayer would change. Maybe your prayer would change from, God, why are you doing this? To, God, cut away everything you need to. Go as deep as you have to. Deal with anything you need to deal with. Cut back anything in me that is not growing good things. And if you'll do that, I promise you, out of that, God will grow more fruit because it's to his glory that he does. Father, we submit ourselves to you and we ask you. We thank you for those who trusted you today and we ask you for those of us who have but need to be reminded that you can be trusted in this process. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.